On this episode of the Melanated Movement Podcast with Tess and Anne, we will be diving further into the topic of Black rage and its concepts surrounding sports, aggression, and Black men. Please be advised this content includes the mention of violence, slavery, white supremacy, and society's perception of aggression as it pertains to a specific community. Trigger warnings include the mention of suicide, domestic violence, and assault. As always, we thank you for listening and welcome you to enjoy the show. now listening to the Melanated Movement Podcast with Tess and Anne. We invite you to take a deep breath, open your mind, and prepare to go on this wild ride. Episode loading in five, four, three, two. Yay! Welcome back to the Melanated Movement Podcast with Tess and Anne. This is the second episode. We're so, so, so excited to dive into a continuation of Black Rage. I'm here with Tess and a very, very special guest that we're going to introduce and really dive into this topic. Hello, hello, Anne. That was so beautiful. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Hi, everyone, and welcome back. My name is Tess. I am half of the Melanade Movement podcast. And um, tonight, (laughs) we have um, a friend of mine. He is a writer, he is an educator, but most importantly, he's a friend. Hi, Pierre. Aw, he's touching his heart right now. He's felt touched. Touched. Hi, Pierre. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are? Oh, sure. (laughs) Um, Good evening, everybody, I guess, right? Uh, My name is Pierre Fleury, and I guess for tonight, I'm one-third of the uh, podcast. A little bit about who I am, um, like I mentioned, I'm an educator. I've um, been doing that for about, well, I've been doing it for six, seven years now. With, um, the group I'm right now has been about four years now. I've mm-hmm. um, been writing all my life, um, released two books, and yeah, a little bit about who I am. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So we, um, Anne and I actually started the conversation around the issue of Black Rage um, last episode. And so we thought it would be such a great idea to bring someone who has both the experience of educating the community, particularly uh, Black young men, but also who navigates the world as a Black man in this society. So... Why don't you maybe start by telling us what Black Rage means to you? How do you define it for yourself? Uh, I guess I would define Black Rage as, I guess, being aware and conscious of what it means to be Black in the society, in this world, and all the things that come with that. It's very understandable to be uh, frustrated and angry at the conditions that we live in and have, mm-hmm. to, have been living in for generations. Mm-hmm. Um, and be able to navigate that and still be able to just maintain your composure. I think that was beautifully said. Thank you for defining that for us. And so um, I know that you spend a, a large part of your uh, work educating young Black men in the community. Uh, well, youth in general, right? In the community at large, parents and stuff, but particularly young Black men. What, at, what has that experience been like? for you? And well, first of all, what do you tell them? Like, what do you educate them about? 
So the whole goal of the work that I do is advising as women, as well as um, addressing harmful behaviors that a lot of men have um, learned and picked up as they grow up and, you know, interact with different individuals in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of addressing those root causes of violence against women and also how men also perpetrate violence against other men. I love that work. I think it's so great hearing that. Like, can you imagine being in the same room with someone that does work like that? Like, as a woman, you're always thinking, like, what causes this? Like, why am I being targeted? And to have, like, a man teaching, like, future men and young men these things and, like, really going to the root causes is, like, I'm so, like, intrigued. I'm so excited to be in the same space. (laughs) Thank you for the work that you do. And what has that experience been? Do you personally observe rage among the, the the youth, the students, the black young men you work with? I think for me personally, it's been eye-opening for me because not only am I educating them, I'm also learning from them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of things that I never knew how to, I guess I never knew how to speak about, I'm seeing it with them and now I know about it. So I'm like, okay, this is what it was when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've seen with them is not so much it's like rage per se it's more so a lot of fear that they have of if they do act out or do something that's not considered the norm mm-hmm. of how men or just young black men should be acting mm-hmm. um so there's that fear and also just the fear of being able to feel vulnerable to speak to other people about certain things they're experiencing because mm-hmm. again back to the fear like they think people are going to hurt them for showing vulnerability Oof. yeah i get that Wow. It's very interesting that you mentioned that because uh, I think that societally, right, there is this belief that uh, black people and black men in particular have more of an inclination toward aggression than any other race. Mm -hmm. But what you're telling me is that the opposite is happening from your experience, from your standpoint, that that they feel so compelled to adopt this this straight behavior versus like quote unquote like normal behavior or what what is what should be expected from them which means stifling their emotions not showing vulnerability and they they are very fearful of just being themselves essentially and that includes like feeling angry and rage right right? being conditioned yeah and i think the problem that we have and Anne and I studied this conversation last episode is that I think society too like equates uh, anger or rage with aggression mm-hmm. right how do you define that Anne like do you do I know for a fact that aggression and rage are not the same thing right I know we talked about this earlier, and I like the fact that when um, Pierre came in, we immediately talked about the difference. What is rage? What is aggression? And then I think people miss the definition. I know from our first episode, we had a few comments about what rage meant for us versus other people and what the difference was and what puts this... Rage is supposed to be an emotion, and everybody experiences rage, but of course, there's it's all about how it's defined. So aggression is like the act 
right? Mm-hmm. So us experiencing rage does not mean that, oh, I'm, I'm physically attacking anyone. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this misconception that we have, not only within, well, it's, I don't, hmm, I don't feel like it's within our community when it comes to rage. I feel like there's a deeper understanding within us. But when we try to explain what black rage is to a non-black person, the confusion occurs like right there. Like, so what does that mean? Does that mean you're an angry black person because you're experiencing rage? And no, it's not. It's it's what's being fueled inside of me because of things I've experienced versus the aggression that you're accusing me of. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was such an important thing to hit like the first thing when we when we first got together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I think, Pierre, you talk about healthy dynamics and healthy relationship dynamics and so I'm sure you spend some time also defining you know what certain things mean right being able to put to put definition to words or words to feelings and emotions and so what is the difference that you've been able to establish yourself between like rage and aggression so in my experience uh it's very common I think also those are the same people but Oftentimes, you ask somebody how they feel, they go straight to tell you what they would do or what they want to do. It's like, I didn't ask you what you wanted to do. I asked you, how do you feel right now? It's like, I want to fight. It's like, I know you want to fight, but how do you feel? (laughs) Right? And I hear that a lot of youth as well. And also, just anybody I talk to, like, we just kind of, like, so a lot of times people think that their feelings justify their behaviors. So they think if they are angry, they should act out and mm-hmm. do violent things, and that should be justified because they're angry. You have to understand that your behavior is different than your um right. than your feelings. Um, again, to understand the difference between that, you need being able to create a, a a pattern where just because you're angry, you have to find healthy ways to cope with that rather exactly. than using violence to address that feeling that you may have. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, my experience with it, and and also kind of back to going back to the being vulnerable part is that. When people fear being vulnerable, they often shut down and shut off. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes people might take that as me angry. It's like, no, I'm not angry. I just don't want to talk anymore. Mm-hmm. So now people are misconce- have a misconception of their behavior when they're just trying to shut down and not speak anymore. Mm-hmm. So and it gets a lot of miscommunication, a lot of um, confusion in their relationships when it comes to that. See, I like that he said miscommunication. I'm so into this, you guys. <laughs> like, the you're saying such key words for me. Miscommunication is such a big thing for me. And then hearing that you're someone who is in the lives of these young men and you're creating these healthy forms of communication, understanding what this feeling is versus what this act is. And if you feel this way, does not mean you have to act this way. You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to go through these different emotions without necessarily having to have a quote-unquote aggressive way of going about it the way that we're labeled as this is the only way that we can react no matter the feeling and then we go through okay if I'm feeling this how should I react to this not only to someone who looks like me but someone who doesn't look like me and what does that mean and that conditioning that we have of what's allowed for uh what's allowed for us what what behavior are we allowed to do what can we do in this space that type of conditioning that we have to break and then also explain what we're breaking how are breaking it and how to move forward so that we're not continuing this type of 
conditioning ultimately because through us and through our generations we've brought, been brought here by okay you're going to sit this way you're going to talk this way you're going to in this space don't talk too loud don't express that you're angry if you express that you're angry be careful of this or that and hearing you really take the time to break it down to them and explain to them these are this is what this is let me let me tap into that vulnerable space and really tap into those feelings is so important for our youth and imagine like you yourself are explaining this to the younger generation and they're going to have the opportunity to continue and pass that on. That is such a great thing that you're doing. Yeah, I think essentially just breaking the cycle. Of course. Right? Of course. It's what have we been taught and also has that affecting how we're going to teach other people. Mm-hmm. Right. And also if I'm seeing people around me shut down when they get, you know, when they don't want to speak up, then I might think so I should act too and I shutting down. Mm-hmm. And now we have a generation of people just fearing Fearing vulnerability and vulnerability right. is a good thing, so I make connections with people by being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And that's what we're used to. Yeah, this is this is awesome. <laughs> this is this is so cool. I I, I find it so fascinating and because I, this also feeds into like the the, the whole um, of toxic masculinity, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. This this idea of that you know I I, I shouldn't express um, what I feel. Because then it would mean that I am vulnerable and it means that I am showing people like my weakness, right? What my, my, what my weak points are. But then if I, the only way that I can translate emotion at the very same time is by what I would do. And so if anger is what I'm feeling in the moment, then my interpretation of it as you know that 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 person navigating that is that i should do something about it rather than just experiencing that feeling right. itself so then i'm so then we're caught in this space of fight flight freeze right or fawn shutting down which is like essentially kind of freezing our emotions in a space fighting which is like okay now i'm angry i'm feeling this i don't have time to identify what it is so i'm just going to like act mm-hmm. upon it or just you know just running away from it and pretending like it doesn't happen and that is something that i think as a black collective both like and and the three of us i think i should i should also mention are haitian in this room right now i think both culturally and racially is something that we have experienced like repress it right pretend it doesn't exist mm-hmm. or do something about it right right and so i i i just admire just the work that you do in general as a black man specifically navigating this. I remember you and I had a conversation a while back. Something had happened in our professional lives and we reached out to each other. And there's something that you said that really stuck out to me. And it was, I don't know how to feel about this because it was very akin to the overall system of oppression and microaggression that we have to navigate as black people every day, yeah. right? But then it also kind of fed into this whole like, am I being like gaslit in this mm-hmm. moment? Yeah, it's like you don't. Know, it's like how do I talk about this without? I feel like, I guess this one talking about like the like I don't want to be seen as like person that's like angry at the mm-hmm. situation, right? But then you are actually But angry. I, I, I am upset. Angry. I'm upset with what's going on, but yeah. how do I convey that to a group of people who don't look like me that I'm upset about this because of what y'all doing to me? That is such right. a huge experience in the professional world. Yeah, and I, for sure, black women, they experience it way more yeah. than like, mm-hmm. like black men do, but it's just like, 
I'm sorry, Jesse, I'm like, do you, do you get that too? I'm like, <laughs> I'm not, I can't be the only person I felt this, right? right. <laughs> it feels weird. Yeah. Like, but are I'm you like, mad? Because I'm mad. Yeah, I'm like, like, like am I to be mad? Yeah. Like, is, is, Matt, is, is Matt the emotion we're supposed to be? Yeah, it's like, like, like okay, <laughs> is, are you angry at this? Yeah. It came like, like a meeting, like, so as a black, you know, collective in here, are we angry at this? Yeah. Like, what, what, how do we feel? What are we feeling? Yeah. What are we feeling? <laughs> right. That is too normal within our community. Yeah, it's, it's like, too normal. And I think. We want to feel like I want to make sure, like as a black person, mm-hmm. um, my my emotions are accurate, are valid. right? Are valid, right? Because I want another black person's validated. Yes. Right? If the white person came to like, oh no, it's, it's fine. It's like no, you you don't know what I'm going no, through. No, you don't. Yeah, like, yes. how do you feel about this, yes, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's like it is. That's what we talked about. Like, yeah, you, so you told me it, it is strange. Yes. Yeah, it's, right. it felt very tokenish. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it felt very like performative, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's like. I feel like every black person has this story. Yeah. This, mm-hmm. this particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That check in with each other, but like this, the, the, like how are we feeling as a collective? Because individually I'm feeling this, but I don't know if it's a rational feeling because I can't trust these emotions that they have told me that I cannot feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The three words, am I tripping? <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, in some spaces, you want the people around you to be understanding but you're not always sure to be understanding you. Right, like, exactly. I'm going to hope y'all understand this but they really understand what I'm going right. through. They they won't. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Once you enter that realm, it's a little bit difficult. Like, when you experience something that is solely for you, it's hard for you to describe to someone who is not black your emotion because they go through that like I said before that whole eyebrow forehead trying to figure out what emotion you're trying to describe type thing is too common I have it's I don't want to be the token black friend but like I in my past careers I've always it's terrible to say but I do look for the black person in the group because in a lot of situations I tend to be the only black person Mm -hmm. in in specific areas that I've worked Mm -hmm. so I literally have I can literally think of every moment I've pulled them to the side and was like, hey, I experienced this. Am I tripping? Because this occurred and I'm not quite sure if I'm supposed to be upset at this. And if I do want to express that I'm uncomfortable or I'm upset with this particular situation, how do I go about this? You're not going to find Karen doing the same thing. When Karen is upset at work about whatever the issue is, she's going to express herself. Versus us, we're in a corner trying to figure out, is this reaction the most appropriate reaction for me to do? Why? Yeah. You ever thought about, like, why? Like, why mm-hmm. am I second-guessing my emotion? Why do I need to be validated by someone else that looks like me? Why? Why am mm-hmm. I unable to feel this emotion, be validated by myself, of this emotion because obviously if you're feeling something your emotions are valid regardless of anyone else's definition why are you in this space where you feel like i need someone who looks like me to validate the feeling that i'm feeling and still be at a space where you can't even express what you're feeling in the way that someone else could even understand you why are we in that space i mean personally and i'll i can answer some some of that and personally i i don't ask why anymore because i already know why i need that validation i already know why because of conditioning i think that because we have been taught for so long that we needed to stifle this and we talked about this a little bit the angry black woman Mm -hmm. narrative uh you know i i i'm not a lot like i have to do it in such a way if I'm to express it, right, if I'm to express what I'm feeling, I have to do it in such a way that it's still appeasing to that to that person. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not going to lie. I, I experience discomfort discussing black issues around why people don't like mm-hmm. it's just a thing. It's 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 something that I can't even it's like you feel it throughout your body. I have definitely been conditioned to do that. Like, 
<laughs> I don't want to talk about the way that I've been, the, the life that I've experienced, I've been around everyone. However, like I grew up in a church that was predominantly white and I love every member of that church. They've always treated me like family, but it, but I know the difference of how I speak and how I act around them versus how I speak and how I act around my family and my friends and how I act. And there's just there's certain things uh, um, that you mention and certain things that you don't because you don't want them to feel like they're not the topic of discussion. And that's what it is. The, <laughs> the way we've been conditioned is like, if it's not about them, then it's not about anything or anyone else, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you think about Black Lives Matter, instead of them finding out what exactly about the Black Lives should matter, they come up with White Lives Matter as a rebuttal. It's like, what and, about us? Right, and right. it's never, and the thing is people that, that don't under, they don't understand that black lives matter does not mean the other lives don't matter right (laughs) it means particularly at this time this is what we're focusing on and then there was this comedian on instagram that i really like listening i think her name is it's court she was like she made a skit that said black lives matter and then you know the second character was like no um all lives matter and then she was like okay if all lives matter can you tell me what you're doing with the lives right now that's going on in afghanistan what's uh, how are you participating in saving the lives in yemen how are you helping with what's going on in Haiti because if all lives matter which they do and you're the one that's projecting that how are you literally going into each specific piece and making sure that their lives matter right so in a space like that where we're trying to speak about this is the issue that is you know affecting us us dying the 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 death rate of women of black women it makes it makes me feel so weird talking about this because it hurts my heart so much. But like the death rate of black women is it's crazy high. And for young women to not even feel comfortable to discuss that in a space where it is so 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 important is devastating. You know what I mean? Like you don't even feel comfortable talking about what could happen to you. Imagine this is the type of world that we've been conditioned to live in. I think when you think of the um, Gabby story is happening right now. Mm-hmm. She became America's daughter, America's mm-hmm. missing daughter, and it's like the same state she went missing in. Like literally, uh, I think this was like dozens of uh, indigenous women have been gone missing in the past ten years mm-hmm. in that same state. Mm-hmm. No one knows who they no are. No one knows. Right, and I was not saying we shouldn't worry about Gabby's story. I'm sure it's very important because you know. Right. But like, why is it that this one person goes missing and suddenly it's everybody's? business to know about it right well there's like 600 missing black and brown children currently mm-hmm. and i'm still rising still rising yeah and they don't talk about it anywhere no and i think such um so should be same should be said to the the um the incidents that that are reported like all over the media as well when uh when a, a black man commits a crime or a black person commits a crime in general and like the frequency of that being displayed versus mm-hmm you know, any other race really, right? Um, we talk about uh, the, the, the conflating of rage and aggression, right? Uh, society really putting them on the same, in the same category. Mm-hmm. And I think one is because of this stere- these stereotypes, right? Which plague uh, black people every day about us being you know, particularly angry, uh, enraged, aggressive in nature, uh, if we're talking about the uh, the actual physical build of a black man, right? Generally, even like across like sports, when you look at 
Well, you listen to the way the announcers or commentators mm-hmm. describe like a black man's like uh, uh, talent, right? Athletic uh, athleticism. A lot of emphasis is placed on their physical build, on their uh, on their agility, on their height, on their you know uh, uh, force, right? Um, on their weight, whatever the case is. And then when you think about the way that they talk about like um, their white counterparts playing that same sport. A lot is said about like they're like how mentally astute they are, or how mm. um, quick they are to think about where to you know throw the ball play. or catch yes. it or all that. And 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 so, I think that a lot of um, because a lot of because of, of there's so much misconception around the issue of rage and 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 aggression as it particularly uh, pertains to the black collective i think that uh there is so much trying that gets done like on behalf like on the parents trying to protect those like the, their black kids their black sons right so now you can't be angry you can't be enraged you can't express aggression so it, you can't be on the streets because you know anything can happen so we want you to be safe because statistically one in three men between the ages of 18 and 39 will have some type of encounter with the criminal justice system so how do i keep my kid how do i keep my son from being part of that collective right part of that to become a statistic Mm -hmm. so i'm going to ensure that you know they get some they get some mentorship that they get some sort of guidance that they get an educator to come and talk to them about building and maintaining a a, a healthy relationships i'm going to get them in sports right because they can get the discipline the mentorship they get to you know kind of have a a good outlet to express their feelings and, and really just kind of put it all out on the field but then a lot of the the if we're speaking the sports or like the sports that are or, or what is accessible to those black kids oftentimes are what football or basketball right and when those kids and those parents also think about what is the way out what is the way to success what is the way out of poverty and things like that there are mainly two things that they think about sports music and music right so what has what has been like your what have been your conversations like with those like black young men when discussing those particular things as far as when it comes to the sports um something in my line of work specifically because part of work is also engaging um mentors and also grown men mm-hmm. to become better mentors because like you mentioned, a lot Say of parents, that one more time. Like, that last piece. One more time with like, people in yeah, their back. Like, one more Yeah, like a mentor to become better mentors. Yes. Because like you mentioned, some parents will kind of throw their kids into football and basketball because mm-hmm. they think the coaches are going to teach them all these things, but the coach is just as bad as a man yep. as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you teach, them, you teach them how to play sport, play basketball and football, but between practices or after practice, whatever, it's telling them all this discussing stuff about women or about, you know, behaviors and relationships mm-hmm. or whatever it is, right? And it's just mm-hmm. like... That's giving negative the opposite effect that you want them to have. Yeah, right? creating that toxicity. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So now the kid, of course, is enjoying playing basketball, but he's also learning healthy behaviors, right? And a lot of times, especially like it comes to like football, also basketball as well, they think the coaches are mentors, but the coaches only teach you what to do on the court or on the field. Mm-hmm. Never have to differ- differentiate that when you're not on the field. So it's like play tough, be hard, be be like be aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. And then. Alright, that's it, go home. Mm-hmm. Now I just spent hours hitting somebody. Mm. Right? Day after day, after day, I'll, I'll hit day after day, right? Mm-hmm. 
I don't know how to not, like, I'm still angry, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm probably more angry than before, and you never told me how to, like, process that or calm down after practice, mm-hmm. so now I'm, my behavior is eventually going to become a pattern, right? Where I just use violence because I'm upset, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, what I've seen with the youth is, like, yeah, they uh, often think that the only way for them to be successful is... Often, they think to be successful is to power and control in some way or form. Mm. Like, they have to be above somebody else to be successful. It's not about, I'm going to do this because I want to do this. It's about, okay, I'm going to do this over somebody else. Mm-hmm. Even if it comes to sports, I got to be the number one athlete over everybody else. I mean, mm-hmm. right? So, also, game engaged. Like, if you want, if you love football and you're not the best football player, you can also be a coach. You can be an assistant. You can be in, in the medical side of this team, whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. I'll give them different options, but... To them, it's like, well... If I'm not the football player... Then yeah, if I'm not the, 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 the number one person on the team, mm-hmm. right? If I'm not the head person on the team, then I'm not even doing anything, mm-hmm. right? And you come in, sometimes, like, they don't really think about the options outside of sports. Right. It's like, I'm going to play a sport. If I can't do this, I'm not going to do anything else. Right. But uh, thank you for bringing that up, <laughs> because I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of that, like, very... Um, limited way of thinking right if i if i if i'm going to be in football like the, i have to i have to be the best and this idea is rooted so much in like because if i but because if i am the best then i am i'm closer to power right and therefore in like offsetting some of that internal like otherwise internal oppression that is felt and i also have a better chance of actually getting myself out of whatever whatever place that i'm in currently yeah but because then, yeah mm-hmm. because like the couch the coaches the coaches and scouts are looking for the top person. They're not looking for the second right. best person. Exactly. Right? Right. I mean, they might pick me because I, I might stand out, but I need to stand out, which means mm-hmm. people have to be below me. Right? And a lot of times, I think that's why even those behaviors where they bully other people around it because if I'm not at the bottom, I'm at the top. Right? That's true. So, I never but you're just the best in that way. Second? But you're just the best Negro on the field. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, but... That's what it turns into. Yeah. And, oh, you know what's really bad? That 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 phrase. Where I feel like that was in a movie. Was it? Was it the Titans movie that something was mentioned about being like the best? I don't know. However, comma. We were discussing about the differences of what we're taught. You know what I mean? Us as Black people, what we're taught. We're like for me when I was younger, being the best. Um, well, not me as a female, because they didn't really give a crap about me as a female, but my brother, my brother ran track, my brother played football, and he was always taught, like, you have to be the best runner, you have, because he was the running back, and he was out here doing the damn thing, and his coach was always teaching him how to be the best on the field, but then they never taught them about, okay, what about the other side? What if I want to own the team? Or what if I want to construct something? What if I want to create a team of my own? What if I want to create something that would better these teammates? What if, like, there's all these different what ifs that no one ever talks about, but they want you to be the best one on the team. And more of a, I see it more of as a, a display. The last so many years of me watching sports, I've seen it from a different lens. Because if you look at like who who's dominating these sports, it's us, right? We're the majority. So it almost becomes a spectacle when you see who owns the team versus who plays on the team. Versus, okay, now that's that. Okay, now who, how do you see yourself on this team? And do you see yourself as being the best on the team? And then now how is that coach or how is that owner now viewing you? Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, unfortunately, this makes me think of Space Jam. 
you know how Space Jam, like they're all shackled and, and uh, Michael Jordan had to do this to get his freedom and blah, blah, blah. How metaphorical that movie was. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, I really thought about it. And again, I watched it again after the LeBron one came out. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. Like we're on display because we're only taught to do this dance for these owners. How many, what's the percentage of owners in football, black owners? So in in the so specifically on a professional level, there are zero uh, NFL team owners. There are like two uh, people of color who actually mm-hmm. own the team. One is actually of Korean descent, I believe, and the other one is Pakita- uh, pa- Pakistani. Mm-hmm. And in with the NBA, there are literally only three black general managers out of like for all like across, like out across of all the thirty teams, mm-hmm. there are only three general managers. For a for two sports, which contain the, the majority of them, um, black black athletes, uh, NFL having like between sixty five and seventy percent of their players being black, mm-hmm. and and with the NBA having like seventy four point four seventy five percent of their players being black. So when you when you talk when we talk about the the other option, that other option would have to be even a possibility to begin with. So I think about the fact that if I, if, if I grew up in a neighborhood where the only thing I see in the corner street is a, is a hoop and a basketball, right? And then I see a football field from the school nearby, but then there is no swimming pool. There is no, um, there is no field to, so I could play lacrosse or tennis or anything like that, right? Which we know in those marginalized neighborhoods, the poor neighborhoods, low, lower income communities, who are, which are once again, predominantly black, they're not going to uh, pour more resources than that. They're not going to pour in any resources to have like a golf course nearby. They're not going to do it for so they can have like a soccer field or a lacrosse field or rugby field or whatever right. the case is. They're not going to. Yeah, I was going to uh, add to that. So I've been in conversations with people where they've talked about those things. Like how come like it was like it was have like a lacrosse field, or, like a golf field, or mm-hmm. a baseball field even. And people say things like, well, black people don't even want to play the sports. It's like, well, if I never seen it, how would I know I want to play right. it? Right. Yeah, I didn't even give me a chance to even try it out. Right. You know yeah, if I like it, it or not, it, right? Right. It's also the assumption that all oh, y'all want to do is play basketball and football. I was like, nah, I don't like basketball and football. Right. But, but that's all I have. And it's all I have near me, right? Right. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's like, yeah, like, and things like those white kids, they, they have their, they're born with it, right? right? And we have to fight literally just to get a new field mm-hmm. to play on. Exactly, right. and and the, the the ones that you do have are already like are usually run down, mm-hmm. secondhand stuff given out, and all of that stuff. That is that is so true. So so then it brings it it brings it to this point exactly. The going back to being the best. If all I have are two options versus my counterpart having thousands of options, including the option of being a coach, a manager, an owner, mm-hmm. right? Or even, you know what, say sports is not the thing, maybe medicine or other areas, right, of, 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 of knowledge and learning, then I, I need to be noticed. I need to get out of there. I, and, the, and, and if my only way through that is by mastering the sport, mm-hmm. mastering this thing, I have to be the best at exactly. it. And the only way I get to be the best at it is by stepping and being above the the, the rest and having people below me. Mm-hmm. It's like being left without that choice. So if I am a lineman, I'm going to be the most powerful there is. Mm-hmm. And the I'm going to have the, 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 the highest number of sacks. 
I'm going to push people the hardest. I'm going to be therefore more aggressive. And it's wild to me how even in a sport like football, even in the NFL, where you have so many black players, there are only a handful of quarterbacks. That blows my mind. I hate that. And oftentimes quarterbacks are usually leaders of the team. Mm-hmm. They're the ones coming up with the plays and yeah. mm-hmm. oh they're so studious. It's like seventy percent of us in here, but for some reason we're none of us are the quarterbacks. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, and it really brought me back to, like, how quickly um, the, the the team was, like, uh, the, the Panthers were, like, quick, how quickly they were to, like, bench Cam Newton, for example, right? How quickly they were ready to put, because they're like, okay, well, he doesn't have the leadership qualities. He doesn't have the astuteness that he needs to, to lead this team. So leadership, like, leadership, intelligence, um, uh, mental sharpness, all are things that are attributed to white people. And the, the brute force and the aggression and the speed and the agility are those like, that are, which are attributed to black folks. Yeah. And so therefore, if black people cannot be intelligent and they cannot be leaders and they cannot have all of those things, and then they can, therefore then they can't be managers and they can't be owners mm-hmm. and they can't be business people. I think also with that is that the reason this is something black can't like it's not, you know, like good enough to be a leader or whatever it is, it's like, it's because his personality is different than the white quarterbacks, right? It's not, he's not, he's not a good leader. It's mm. like maybe because he probably might dress differently or he's more in the media or he's popular on social media. It's like, he's oh, he's, he's not. Oh, yeah, no, he he's, doesn't give us the, the image of a, of a good leader. It's just like, well, he's not acting white enough for you. Because he doesn't look like you. Yeah, right. Yeah. And but, yeah, it's just like you said, like it's even in basketball, it's like um, for, for, for a good while, a lot of uh, um, point guards right where like like white men and talk about them it's like oh like they're very quick you know they, they do yeah. very, they do you know, very smart on the field on the court whatever it is right and then like LeBron James oh what a monster like you know like yes yeah, like, just dominate the yeah. court and it's like wow he's completely he... taking over the court yeah like yeah he just dominates everybody and it's just like and that's the verbiage that people take with them I want to yeah. be the one that dominates this space I want to be the one that dominates this field I want to be number one they want to teach you to be a crab that's what it is like I have to be better than my counterpart because then I'll be seen as the best and then I'll become the next this that whatever versus having the conversation that doesn't mean it doesn't even sound like that on the other side yeah I think also like when back's not giving them options it's like also if I'm in a community where like for example when I was in high school uh, I was in middle school there was a kid um, that was very popular in that school he was one of the best football players in the country in the country in the state at the time mm-hmm. and I think watching him fail and not make it to the top right a lot of people were just like oh, if wow. he fails it's mm-hmm. like what what is it for us yeah like because he, he, he didn't practice any other options so he didn't have mm-hmm. any other options right mm-hmm. see the football nothing seeing them go pro is like okay we have hope but then seeing that one person that was the best not make it it changes it changes the outlook like damn so what am i supposed to do if he was labeled the best right and in comparison I might be a little bit mediocre, you know what I mean? Like, how do I make it to where I'm the best? Where, like, who do I have to step over to make sure I get there? And it's, it's, it's disgusting almost to think of. Like, I have to make sure I'm better than you to make it to the top. And I, I hate thinking like that. Well, I think, like, as a, as a general, that's a very good point. I like how you mentioned that, that hope part. Like, we, we have hope. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that hope hinges on so little 
in comparison to like all of the other things in the universe and like the options that exist makes it really really sad mm-hmm. right yeah all, and, the, all the hope one person right. yeah. all of that converge into one person you talk about that pressure that level of pressure that exists that exists already on that person because sometimes when you when you when you watch sports and you watch like the like the uh, I love watching like the draft for example like that happens um and there's always this backstory and it's so interesting to me when they draft this black like player oh yeah how they go so deeply into like how they're like from this single family sing, like a, a single mother um in a very poor neighborhood yeah, yeah. and have to work out and you know and have to like exercise and like on the on a rundown field and how they really made it yeah and, and their parents were like crackheads right like, like they really go into like the neat like the just the, like the 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 most like uh like awful part of like that story to just show like you know they pulled themselves out which i feel further reinforces this idea that what racial divide if you too you know you too have the power to pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps and make it out of the Mm -hmm. hood like it's so it perpetuates this very toxic understanding and belief that like all you have to do is be more and do more with the very limited options that you are given but no we're not going to talk about the fact that those are the options that you were given Mm -hmm. because there are way more opportunities and way more about that but yeah you still have to like you too can do it outside of systemic issues outside of racism outside of discrimination outside of all of those things you have the ability to make it on your own if that one person makes it right hope hinging on like an individual is detrimental. Mm-hmm. I think kind of what you mentioned, like the, the the pressure and the stress of it all, right? Because I, I think they do know there's a lot of pressure on them. Because the whole community, I guess I was in middle school, I know about this kid. Mm-hmm. Which the whole community knew about, about him too. So it's like I know I have to make it. So I might even start messing up on school or mess up my the other stuff I got to do because I need to make sure football's my entire life. Mm-hmm. Right, no mental health deteriorating, and eventually it might hit the sport at this point. Right? Mental health, yeah. Right, yeah. and yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think kind of like also what you're saying, Tess, is that uh, so a lot of people have that issue, have the issue with like black, black excellence now. Mm-hmm. It's like, what well, I, I, I just want to be regular, yeah. right? <laughs> like, I, need, I just want to be regular. I need, person. I need you guys to break that down to me because I, I'm holding on to the to the thought of black excellence with everything I have but but like the but my experiences in life has been it's kind of it's weird it's kind of like I I sought that like I need I need to be part of black excellence as as um what is that called as a label I guess but there was a there was a (laughs) there was a colonel that that his what he what he said to us stays with me forever and I say it all the time he said I seek excellence not perfection and forever from that moment i was like i want to be excellent i cannot be mediocre it's okay if i'm not perfect but i I seek excellence and then me being someone who was always in a unit where i was the one black person or i was one of so many like you can count us in the room and him being a black colonel saying that to me i attached myself to black excellence like it was like it was branded on my chest so i would love <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be like the full breakdown right now, but the conversation of black excellence definitely needs to happen because I would love to hear like what you have to say about it. I'm I'm attached to that to that phrase. It's on my Instagram. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. Like I'm not saying anything wrong with being excellent, right? But I think when people say those stories of like that one 
black person that made it either through sports or even mm-hmm. through a medical program, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no, you guys, I didn't expect you to make it. You are excellent black person, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. Right? And okay. I, it's like, now I'm killing myself trying to get to where this person got. To be an excellent black person. To an excellent black person, too. Oh. Yeah. It's okay. almost like black excellence at this point, like, becomes the standard. Yeah, it's like, so, if I'm not the best, also. Then you're nothing. I'm not nothing. Right. I didn't see it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not saying, like, some people have an issue with it, right? I'm, not, I'm saying it's the worst thing, but, like, that's a lot of black people saying, like, so I read something somewhere too where it's just like, as a black person, you get to go into a job, how your white people, how your white coworkers act, act the same way. So the only thing you have to do is go beyond because, you know, because you're yeah. new there and you're black, you want to prove yourself. Because if they put 50%, that I means you can also put 50%. What you say a lot of black people is, well, I'm going to do 100% because I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to. And then you get, end up being under Right, exactly. So, like, it's a privilege that come with that, right? Because like, as a white person, if I lose my job, I'm getting a job easy. Mm-hmm. I know that because I'm white. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Versus mm-hmm. black person, if I lose a job, I'm going to be struggling for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm going to go above and beyond, but like, I'm tired of going above and beyond. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm, I just want to I I, I just, I just work here and just go home, right? I literally right. said that when I got out of the army. I was like, not out of the army, when I got out of um, working for the government, <laughs> I was like, I'm tired of going above and beyond because I'm black. Because I literally got harassed for that. Like, being a black person in this space where we're, we're not going to dive into it. But what you're saying is, is so ridiculously true, and I didn't think about it in that way. I attach myself to black excellence because I feel like I am black and I am excellent. You definitely but are, never, yeah. Oh you still goodness. are, but I feel like, <laughs> but, when you idea that I have to achieve black excellence. You have excellent. to be, yeah. You have yeah. to get to the point of saying that I, I have reached that, that pinnacle of black excellence. Mm-hmm. I get, I'm, I'm thinking of what you guys are putting down now. I never, yeah. I never saw it in that way because I referred to myself as that. And I never, I never sought out another black person to say, I want to be as excellent as them. I thought of myself as black excellence because I've struggled I've been in so many spaces where being the black person really affected me and the way that I move and the way that I worked like I was surrounded by these gorgeous like people for a long time and I was like damn like and I literally had a conversation with myself I'm not as beautiful as these people and then within myself I am I am black I am excellent that's what I and that's what I did for myself but seeing it from the outlook of others is so different and it's incredible for you guys to describe it like that. Like, damn, that is true. But damn, I'm gonna keep that though. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. I mean, I mean you're, you're still black in that sense. It's just period. When it becomes like something you feel like you have to force you or push yourself to do. Nah. Or do you, you have to put those two things next to each other? Yeah. Yeah. You have to be adjacent. I refuse. So- and I think about the the sheer pressure that we feel as a collective, not just black but also like Haitian folks, about like how many of us feel like we have no options. But no option but to be a lawyer, a doctor, engineer. Um, an engineer. Like we need to have those things, and if we're not those things, that we better we better not settle for just a bachelor's degree. No, we need to go for that master's, and we need then to do, to to go for that PhD, so on and so forth. Because it is because we need to set ourselves apart from mm-hmm. like from the from the rest. That's and right. I think about speaking specifically of our own people again, how sometimes we feel the need to di- to distinguish ourselves from. African American. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. I'm black, but I'm not. Ju- I'm not just black. Black. I'm Haitian. Black. That's yeah. different. Yeah. So I don't belong to the stereotype of aggression and all of those other things that are that specifically plague African American black. No, yeah. no, no, no. I'm Haitian black. Get, yeah. get it right. I recognize that too because um, I, I was born here, but whenever and back in high school, like they'll say, like you know, that's like a new kid came to the school. Mm-hmm. When they found out I was Haitian, they wanted to be my friend off the bat. 
Right, before they, was, before they knew I wasn't Haitian. Before they thought I wasn't Haitian, they didn't have anything to do with me. Wow. Right? And we asked them, like, yeah, my mom's not to, not to make friends with black people. And it's like, you know you're black, right? It's like, yeah, but I'm Haitian. It's like, yeah, but you know you're wow. black, though, right? And my mom had the same conversation. With yeah, me. and it's just like, once upon I'm Haitian, it's like, oh, I can hang with you now. It's like, you could hang with me before, bro, but it's like, nah, my mom wouldn't allow it. Yeah. Right? Well, I come to the house, like, I see, I gotta say hi. And Creole said, no, I'm Haitian. Mm hmm. That's right? fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of like, and uh, a lot of like, even like I've heard, um, even Hispanic can say that's it. Black kids, like, oh, my parents said I'm friends with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. It's like it's like it's like like, like kind of like, like an uh, elitist kind of like, it I, is. like of course idea, right? It's Absolutely. Just like, the states because TV, American television is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right, even music, movies, mm-hmm. the, like we're global. We are yeah. global, right? So even in Haiti, like they know American like media, right? Mm-hmm. How to picture black people. So in Haiti, it's like, oh, it's not black, it's not black people act in America. When you get there, don't act like that person, right? Right, and it's not recognizing that black people are not just one way, right? But right. the way they see and how we're portrayed, you know, right? All the different forms of media, like mm-hmm. music and movies, whatever it is, mm-hmm. it's like don't be like them, don't be like them, don't be like them, and mm-hmm. it's like, well. Still you black. have to stand out. Yeah, and it's like when the police pull us over, mom, they're gonna ask for your Asian. It's like, no, I'm thinking what happens. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. That that is wild. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that in order for us to understand, like why we're like, in order for for us to understand why we're so overwhelmed with this specific portrayal of black people, and in particular, like black men being portrayed as like violent, aggressive. Uh, abusers and all of that i think it's important to understand like the 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 confines in which like they're they're even put in like if you go back to like the sports industry right like um and black nfl players are 10 times more likely to be pulled over by Mm -hmm. by by the by the cops and they're 10 times more likely to also be arrested versus their white counterpart for doing the same shit Mm -hmm. and it's ridiculous and it's it's fascinating to me because of course, you you might find other things to pin me with if you're pulling me over more frequently. Right. Yeah. And so if you're pulling me over more frequently, then you're going to have more to say about me. Then therefore, you're going to portray that more. Mm-hmm. And then, then you're going to reinforce this idea of like, this is what this is what it is. So in order for them to maintain this, speaking of above, in order for in order for white supremacy to be maintained, there needs to be a reason. And in order for 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 the standard to remain what it is and where it's at, for the for white being the model, the standard, then they have to keep depicting black as the evil and monstrous. Right. There is no other way that it can thrive and survive. Right. Mm-hmm. You can't be great unless we're not. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that over the last you know few years or so, I've really come to the realization that. Black people are either consumed, media, um, sports, music, or annihilated. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's it, we're meant to be destroyed. Whether that happens to be like right away, or if it happens to be over the course of multiple years mm-hmm. due to injuries sustained and all of that stuff. Because right. people, you know, we talk about black excellence, right? You talk about black excellence in music. You talk about black excellence in sports. And the ones who made it, the ones who got out of the of the hood, the ones who got out of like, oh, you know, pulled their families out of poverty and became great and all of that stuff. But they don't talk about the ones who didn't. Mm-hmm. The ones who still wake up with, you know, back pain and injuries sustained through years and years years and years of trying to become excellent but never became excellent enough to make it to right to to be pulled to pull their own families out of that stuff they don't talk about the traumatic brain injuries that that kids as young as like 10 years old start to have 
on the field trying to perfect right. their craft so that they can be noticed so that they can be like so they can be excellent and then and pull their families out of you know the situations exactly. or themselves out of, the, of that neighborhood and and that is even with us understanding the risks associated with traumatic brain injuries for example with sports or injuries in general or the mental health repercussions or all of those issues they're still just considered risks that are that that we're willing to take because then it means that we are somebody right is that something that you pierre notice like even with the with the young men that you that you have conversations with like how much of themselves are they willing to i would say even sacrifice for the sake of being better than the stereotypes or being excellent mm-hmm. yeah um, just actually today working with this uh, group and we did this activity where we kind of got into like a small group with each other mm-hmm. and talk about like problems we're experiencing one of the kids was saying that he doesn't have enough time to rest mm-hmm. because he gets out of school does after school programs and goes to work but when he gets home it's like 10 o'clock mm-hmm. and he has homework and he has to wake up again at 6 o'clock because he has to get back to school again mm-hmm. um and I'm like, you, you're 16 years old. Like, yeah, <laughs> like you yeah, shouldn't be doing all this, right? Yeah. But I understand the reality of a lot of black and brown kids is that sometimes they have to work early. So yeah. they can grow up in families because mm-hmm. they're under, like, you know, almost living on poverty. Um, but, yeah, no, they, uh, they will, I feel like a lot of youth will do a lot. It's harmful for them if that means making it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, skipping class, skipping school, or not doing things they should be doing, but things that they should be doing they'll do that because it's a chance to make it out right um have you spoken to your to your um i don't want to say kids to your students about black rage like do have you spoken to them about it or do they know what it is because there's so many things that we we talk about and i I, like me myself i can take certain situations and like pin it to like how it defines black rage for me but for things that you're saying that these students are experiencing and the conditioning that we have like have you had a conversation about black rage with them not specifically black rage but i guess kind of validate what they're feeling Mm -hmm. so because i think it was an example with the girls like when they feel like they have to apologize like no you have to apologize for that like i get what you feel what you feel but you have to apologize for that or um like for example like you know kids saying that i don't want to like go to the park at a certain time because the police out there is like I understand that feeling right mm-hmm. you should be able to park anytime you want to go to the park mm-hmm. it's literally a public park kind of know hey I understand what you're feeling and also we talk about I mentioned I talk about roots of violence and part of roots of violence is racism mm-hmm. right as well as recognizing like why a lot of black men feel the way they feel is you know white supremacy and also mm-hmm. why a lot of Black men treat black women the way they do is also because white supremacy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Can you can you can you like I know we're like we're getting close to that time, but can you kind of like dive into that just a little bit? Like what like a lot of what black men feel is because of white supremacy, and a lot of the way that they treat black women is because of white supremacy. Right. So I think it kind of goes back to internalized oppression, right? Mm-hmm. And also this masculinity in general is like because we're taught as men to be powerful and strong, mm-hmm. but as a black man, I'm like stood below white men. Yep. I was like, okay, who's now around me that I can be on top of? Mm-hmm. And it's like the closest person to me is black women, mm-hmm. right? All, or other black men, right? So now I feel like I'm dominant over black women by respecting them or, you know, be violent towards them because I have to feel like I have to get some sort of power, right? Or I need to be closer to the power I am, which is white, white, white supremacy, is to have people beneath me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm trying to go too deep into it, but it's, I guess I'm going back to the whole provision point. It's like, yeah, it's like, because we have to, because I have to, 
for me to feel like I'm on top, I need somebody below me. And the closest person to me is a black woman. So right. a lot of black women recognize that. And then when you're trying to tell black men, yes, you are oppressed because you're black, but it doesn't mean you don't have power because you're a man. Right. Mm. Right? And now, and now, now you're the intersection, right? Now it's like, how do I tell you that, yes, you are oppressed, but you're also an oppressor? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like, no, I'm a black man. They I'm an American. It's like, yeah, for sure. It. I'm a black man in America, too, but you're also the man, a man in America. Like, you know, like... Yeah. And then it's like, now it's kind of hard to see yourself as the victim and the perpetrator yep but you can do those things at the same time you can right but for them it's like no like the world told me i can't do this so yeah for sure the world did tell you that right but also we're also to do this as black women you still do this as black women right, right. you can right you can recognize that yes you're being treated unfair, like, uh, unfairly but you also are mistreating other people right right and kind of like people think their frustration is justified because they're frustrated Mm. Right, because I'm angry, because I'm sad, or because I'm depressed, I can do whatever. I was like, no, yes, you can be sad, you can be angry, you can be depressed, whatever it is, right? But it doesn't give you the right to hurt somebody else. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Right, and because a lot of black men are taught to process their emotions in a healthy way, mm-hmm. right? It's like they just kind of they often lash out on mm-hmm. people around them they can't lash out against. And then we get labeled as aggressive. Right, and so then, of course, yeah. So something with that too is just like we often talk about issues without really addressing the roots of issues right um i think we all do that a lot because i think going deeper would involve recognizing that a lot of times we are part of the problem Mm -hmm. right so for accountability the accountability piece Mm -hmm. right and also um so vulnerability as well you need to be vulnerable you know right right so it's like so for example like there's this i guess he's uh people call him smart quote unquote right <laughs> and all he says is like oh men experience violence at a higher rate than women men are in prison more men are expensive mental health for mental health more and it's like yeah those are all true mm-hmm. but who's causing men to do those things mm-hmm. that's right? the right question Ask exactly right so who, like what's matter. the root of men experiencing violence more who's causing who causing violence against men other men mm-hmm. right why aren't men not seeking mental health issues because men told them they can't seek mental health issues right. uh, mental health services right so yeah. it's like you can say these yeah. statistics but you're not really getting into why these statistics are happening right. mm-hmm. same thing with like with like you know with um crimes like oh black men are arrested at a higher rate it's like yeah because police are literally in black communities sitting there sitting right. and oh, waiting like, like, yeah of course if you're not 24 7 you're gonna meet more black people like, yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, That's exactly it. Yeah, and it's like we don't get to the root of issues. We just talk about issues, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think talk about issues more is going to require us to recognize how our behavior affects other people around us. It, it takes a lot of work. It takes asking the right questions, too. Yeah. I, it's a good mention that because a lot of times people think I'm, like, doing mind tricks on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right? Because they said something to me and I repeat it back to them word for word. That's what it is. <laughs> I told you. Please. And it's like, oh, no, I'm telling you, I'm fucking my head. Yes. I'm like, no, I'm asking you the questions. I said, like, his listening always gets people. <laughs> always does. Yeah. This is what exactly what we talked about. And that's about like the method of teaching. Like, I started doing it because, like, 
I don't think people really hear themselves when they talk. Mm-hmm. Yep, they don't. And I'm, I mean, so I'm not trying to be funny. I'm like, I don't think people hear themselves when they talk. Cause I think we're used to talking and just saying things. Mm-hmm. That's people like, oh yeah, women are weak, women are that. And it's like, so you're saying women are less than men? It's like, no, that's what I'm saying. You literally just said it. Yeah, that, right. You literally you just, just, just said it. Roundabout definition. Of yeah, like, and then they get rattled. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, I'm just saying. No, you trying to fuck with my head? Like, no, I literally asked the same thing you just said. I'm right. telling you the same thing you just told me, so you can hear yeah. what it sounds like coming out of my mouth entering your you know yeah. the way people process things when it comes to stuff like that they they speak so this is what I feel about this that whatever and then the person that the people that they're speaking to are like minded and they're not asking them the questions that dig deeper as to the root they're asking them questions that are surface level in relation to yeah. but then you have someone that is your mirror and they ask you the same thing in relation to what you're saying but hitting the root they what are you saying? That's yeah. not what I said. You're you're, ta- you're you're taking words out of my mouth. No, you said this, this, and this, and I'm telling you this, this, and this. Is that what you're saying? I want to make sure that I'm hearing you clearly yeah. because what the you know. But the like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, that's and then that's how it's talking around. This time sounds the same way. So you mentioned this too, like how people process things, right? There's there's so many stories that aren't told and people don't quite understand of what it what it really felt like to be a woman. Like I took I took women in literature, you know, for my degree and really learning about women in history and then having to close the book and then that teacher saying, Okay, we're gonna talk about this that's not in the book. It's it's so fascinating to understand how men that see it in that way really think that all these things were created and then how they were actually created and then the woman's role in all of these things. Why is that the woman's role is always taken out like that like that didn't happen? Like a man would not be here without a woman. So why is that complex built and ingrained that you you are this amazing man and you're gonna do these amazing things, right? But then yeah. I have a, like I feel like this is so good, but, but it has me wondering: How do you, the unicorn of black men, <laughs> beautiful walking the surface, beautiful, wonderful unicorn, like like how do you navigate these conversations, mm-hmm. like in a setting where toxic masculinity is very much rampant? It's at the forefront. When when like other like black men do not see the ways that their oppression intersects with their own privilege, mm-hmm. like how do you navigate that? Because honestly. This conversation is easier because you already understand it. Right. Because we are we're sitting on the same side of these issues, right? We have this common understanding. But then how do you do that when it's different? When you have like differing opinions, mm-hmm. different mindsets. I mean, it's not easy. Um, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I mean, I hate the fact that I have to walk into the room and like, hey, I'm not saying you guys are bad people. You know, I'm not saying you guys are, are bad guys, but when you talk about how men are hurting women. But it's so thinking that's always trying to say I'm a bad person. I literally just say I'm a bad person. You're saying that. <laughs> you have to give the disclaimer. Yeah, every time. And things like, not only for work, even with like regular, like, regular. Of guys, right. right? Men's egos are very sensitive. Right? I'm trying to challenge who you are. I see you're a bad person. I'm just saying, hey, just don't say that on me. Mm-hmm. Right? And in every space, it's just like, it's finding out, because everybody's different as well. Like, everybody, learn, everybody learns differently. Mm-hmm. So I got to figure out who I'm talking to, how should I approach it with this, what's the best way to understand it. And also try to make it relatable for you, right? For a lot of black men, I try to tell you, okay, as a black man, you experience about these pains, you know, oppression in this way, right? Because you're black. So what are some other ways you can, you know, have right. power over somebody mm-hmm. else, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it be because your size, even, or you know, popularity, even to more or so like same way you have power in those instances, you can also have power over women because mm-hmm. you're a man, right? And mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. A lot of times, not really effective because it doesn't click for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. You have to find. Sometimes you need to find an angle 
to reach certain people, unfortunately. Like, because yeah, people I'm have such huge egos. Like, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out the negotiations. Yeah. Everybody. Especially even with the youth, like, even all the youth are different. Of course. Right? Because right. I gotta different. teach a whole class. I can't individually pick one youth at a time to talk to them. Right. I gotta find a general way of talking to everybody to understand this and we all can, at least the majority of the class understand it. Mm-hmm. Right? And every class is different. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like, it's, it's tired to find different ways to do that shit. And I'm tired, I'm tired of like, <laughs> but like, now I do for work, I'm getting paid for this, right? right. I, I'm gonna, right. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I can do this, right? Mm-hmm. But like, if regular said, bunch of niggas, yo, like, Stop fuck, it. Like, fuck y'all. Like, <laughs> like, you feel me? Like, I don't, I don't say fuck y'all, but like, I'm tired of y'all. You feel me? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, at least, at least by you having conversations with other people, it creates that that thought bubble for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. I put some like at least you plant the seed. I'm like mm. planting the seed. Sometimes it's like, can I see? Yeah, I want to see the growth today. Man. And yeah. and leaves, I want to see the tree that I planted. See the buds. I yeah, at least I want to see some kind of change today. Right. Most times I don't see I don't see them again. Yeah. Right. So how do you know that anything was affected? And also like. Even the work that we do, right, we're only with some of the kids like once a week, mm-hmm. once at a time, mm-hmm. for like an hour at most, maybe a couple hours. After you leave the classroom with me, you're back to the same type of everybody else telling you the opposite of what I just told you. Right. Completely offsetting everything. Completely everything. All the, exactly. And if I tell you one thing right now, and some people tell you something the opposite, oh, nah, they told me this. I'm like, but they're dumb. Right, I don't say that, but like they don't know anything, right? So by the time you get back to them, if you do get back to them, yeah. you have to un- you have to undo have to unpack everything, right? Yep. So like, so the work is prevention, education, prevention, right? Before it even happens. Mm-hmm. But I can't prevent something if they're already experiencing already. Yeah. Right. So, so now, now like, so the idea of the curriculum for such for teaching the prevention is how do we teach them teach them right now in like high school, right? Like even like freshman year in high school, how to have a how to relationship, right? Before they get into relationships. But these kids have been through so much already. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So now it's like, I can't just teach you something in it within an hour. And I got to unpack shit in an hour. And use the last 10 minutes of the hour. To teach you something. Teach you some shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? So now, now I'm, I'm lifting up layers to give a little bit of information in there. Right. Yeah. I think of it like, like, so that, like planting that seed thing. Right? Yeah. In order for you to plant that seed, you can't gotta, do it on hard ground. You can't yeah, do it on cement. I got to dig out the cement. You have to dig. Yeah. I got to break the... Like the fucking yes. concrete to find some little bit of soil in there, <laughs> right? And maybe put some uh, seeds in there. You and I gotta find the water yeah, to make it stick. Because then you just hope for rain. I gotta hope for rain. Like, cause I, I only got an hour with you. By the time I get out of information, I gotta hope to my next like some this is the same thing. It doesn't completely right. undo what you just did. It is wild. Yeah. It's so wild. And, and, and what I struggled with, and I think even like coming to coming to this circle about this conversation around rage and aggression, particularly with black men, is that I I don't want to deny the fact that internalized oppression is something it's that part of the, yeah. it's part of the problem. But it's like fuck yeah. yo it's like, right? it's, I get why you feel what you feel, but god damn it, yo like <laughs> Like, internalized oppression definitely is manifested as this, like, aggression, which is a physical manifestation, the worst that you feel because of your internally oppressed. Yeah. But, come on, not the stereotype of aggression also does not apply to every single person. So yeah. how do I both dismantle this concept and belief yeah. that aggression is not something that is literally attached to black people, mm-hmm. but at the same time, 
same time, be like, but yeah, black people will be aggressive because of their aggressive. Yeah, 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 we do be aggressive, though. Like, we do be mad. We do be aggressive. Like, how do we do that? Like, how do we both say, yo, black men will have, like, will want to exert, like, power and control because they, too, that they don't get that power and control from, like, so then they're going to use that. The proximity to power, as much of that proximity to power as they can, in order for them not to feel less than, because yeah. it's about feeling better than. But at the same time, bro, come on, yeah. come on, come on, yeah. yeah. Like, I try to get, like, Stop. I try to make it relatable. Where it's just like, what's something you understand and you can recognize, and I can read to somebody else. Like, what's like, and it's hard to do that with everybody. Cause I say, yo, I, 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 I don't have so much time with everybody, mm-hmm. right? I might have like, I mean, a few minutes with you, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason I also do, like, TikToks, because I hated TikTok. I still hate TikTok. Um, so I, I barely use it as much as I used to anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I, I know this. Yeah, it's just that I, I joined to that because I want the information and knowledge to be shared everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing it in schools. I did it with my books. They make some videos as well. Mm-hmm. I also do it on Twitter with my tweets. Also Instagram with my, like, stories and my posts, whatever it is. So it's like... You have to take accountability. Yeah, and, and at some point in time... I need friends. Mm-hmm. I need to talk to people because we've been using interest because we're beings, right? Mm-hmm. So now I have to be a better person, right? And I hate that it's by force, but everywhere, I feel like everywhere people go, they have to recognize that this behavior is not okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And that force is necessary with pressure makes diamonds. Yeah, sometimes, like, yeah, sometimes like, I, I, don't want to be, I don't want you to be a good person by force, though, right? You should be able to want to be a good person naturally, but. You should want to be. That's like, what it, the case is for people around you that you know that you're not a good person. Right. But sometimes it takes that because imagine how much of of that person's ego you might have to break through in order to get to that portion where, okay, I am now choosing to be a good person. Some, unfortunately people have to go through that, those different layers of denial from others to be like, okay, this, every time that they're denied or they're told to take accountability for what they're doing, their ego is being bruised and it's being broken through. And hopefully, unfortunately, you have to be hopefully this whole hope bullshit is that that person will change. But unfortunately it takes that much work for some people to fall out of that because that's what they've seen. That's what they've been grown. Like that's what they have around them. That's what they've been taught. That's what, that's all they know. And then for them to then change the way they act, the way they speak, the way they treat others, others I can imagine that be a little tough you know what I mean mm-hmm. I appreciate the amount of enthusiasm that just happened in this room between you two <laughs> because like if I was on the other end I, I mean I'm going to be on the other end listening because I love the Melanie Movement podcast with Tess and Ann I'm just saying <laughs> um a period the amount of the amount of passion between you both you both working in social services and you both having such great impact is is riveting for me because me having me having a small child um and knowing that there's people that are going to there's people that are around him mm-hmm. that will not allow him to you know I mean manifest that toxic that toxicity that is that can surround him him being in the space where he's playing sports him being in a space where we're not around him for majority of the day because of school and things like that when he does come back in our presence he has people in his corner that's gonna be like okay let's talk about this I think I think what you may be going through is is this and this let's talk about how we should handle this moving forward Mm -hmm. and then having having a male role model a black male role model in the community that's talking to young you know young men young adults young persons and really taking the time to create that vulnerable space and create that safe space for them to not only talk about what they may be going through, but then give your perspective and be that mirror to them to be like, this is what I'm hearing from you. And then having such a reaction to where it's like, that's not what I'm saying. And then realizing, okay, 
I'm saying it to this person, this is how they're receiving it, and that is not how I want to be perceived. That is that is bursting through their bubble. That's bursting that ego. And that's that type of change. That's that seed that we're looking for. You're not seeing that bud or that plant grow yet. However, that that role that you play is so, so, so important. And those emotions are valid. And that space is valid. So being in this space with you both right now, like I'm, I'm tingling <laughs> because I've always admired the work that you do. Like I like you guys, I'm like Tessa's biggest fan, let me tell you. So well, I'm your biggest fan, yeah. No, but seriously, like I tell her all the time, like I'm I like the way she talks, I like the way she reads, I like the type I like that she's into education. I like that there's you know that person that seeks out more knowledge, she's that person that I really admire that. So being in this space where you both are so similar and I'm just like taking it in, I just I just I feel like the bud in the room like please let me sprout from your You're knowledge grown tree, fuck that listen <laughs> <laughs> no but no really i i've taken in so much just from the conversation between you two and it's i'm gonna take it and i'm gonna share it and that's what we want we want this conversation to go through our podcast and for us to share just like you want to with your tweets and with your tiktoks and with your information and taking advantage of this platform is so ideal so i do appreciate the amount of energy that you had Pierre I do appreciate the amount of energy you've had Tess talking about this because then we have this continuation and people are going to pick up that energy and then now they're going to have that energy and they're going to want to see it through your lens and be a mirror to someone else to make sure that they're seeing what they're saying and how it's affecting other people so thank you <laughs> you have Bring this ability to just be, you know, just to just be an ally every day. Like you wake up and you show up as one. Right. And you are not afraid to step to that person at the gym, even though you have no in- like and you have no vested interest in that person. You could have just ignored it. It's like, you know what? I'm off the clock. I, this is not my time. So I'm just going to keep moving there. You're not performing for anybody. And I think there is something so admirable about that. And we need these conversations to happen like hand in hand. We need to be able to address like internal like inter- internalized oppression and 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 the way that 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 is manifested at the very same time that we're trying to also break down the those the stereotypes surrounding being black in this space and and, and time. Mm-hmm. So I I just this has been so invigorating in so many ways mm-hmm. and it all goes back to like what needs to happen both as individuals but also as a collective. But we, we, it, it, it also ties it back to the fact that we cannot do this alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we have to be able to go down to that root. We have to be able to break down the cement that is white supremacy, that is colonialism, that is like the, all of the, the residual impact that we've, we're still experiencing from that time and space that is so egregious and doesn't want to be talked about, which is, you know, the, you know child slavery and colonialism. And be able to tie, tie it back from there so that we can break it down and then move forward in a space where... These stereotypes don't exist anymore. The stigma doesn't exist anymore. And so the need for that power and control does not need to exist anymore. Right. Uh, so. Pierre, and this is so awesome. Do you want to tell us, you mentioned your books. So can you tell us a little bit about what they're about and how, um, if any of our listeners are interested in purchasing them, how they can go about doing that? Yeah, um, my first book that I uh, wrote was called, it's called Accountability. Mm-hmm. And it was really focused on the work that I do with engagement in boys, any violence against women, as well as addressing the the roots of things they learn that leads to violence against women, also violence against other men. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I kind of just started writing just off my experiences of talking to them, and also my own, own experiences as, as a man growing up, also as a Haitian man growing up. 
um, and how we learned in different areas. Like I learned things in Haiti, I learned things here, I learned things from coaches, learned things from parents. Um, and I kind of, kind of put it, my thoughts together in a book, um, Forms of Poetry. Oh, nice. And um, the second book is Vulnerability, like I mentioned before, without vulnerability, you can have accountability. Mm -hmm. um, and that book is around addressing uh, our insecurities that we have as individuals and how that impacts relationships, with, not just with ourselves, but also with our partners and friends, as well as our community members. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's my second book as well. And I'm working on my third book right now, actually. Oh, yay. Working title is Intentionality, because you have to be intentional to be vulnerable. Oh, I like the way you did that. I like that. Yeah, so that's the, the goal of the third one. I'm hoping to release sometime next year. Okay. So, yeah. Love it. How, if I, I want it, how do I get it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, I don't like Jeff Bezos, but Amazon's the best platform to use. Mm -hmm. um, so it's accountability and vulnerability. Um, What's your author name? Pierre Fleury. Yeah, so you can just Google accountability, Pierre Fleury, and check them up. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us in our circle. And thank you for going on this journey with me once again, Pierre. Big fan. <laughs> and, and and we would love to have you back again, you know, sometime soon if yes. you're up for it. So, so sure, let me know. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, this has been the Melanated Movement Podcast with Tess and Anne. We want to thank Pierre one more time. Thank you for joining us. I do want to say thank you to Tess, really, because honestly, being part of this podcast has been amazing. I'm definitely learning new things. We're studying new things. We're diving into things. And like we discussed in the first episode about doing the research and being accountable, I'm stepping into that realm. And I love that we're going through this together.